0: There'll be a lot of questions uh, in, the peri- in the question period here, so is it okay with you guys if we start a little bit early? You can still finish your eating and all that kind of stuff but and listen. So just to tell you about next week is uh, we're talking about trauma caused by messy divorces. Uh, I think it'll be a very interesting thing, and uh, I've, I've seen lots of examples myself of, uh, of kids getting messed up by parents fighting over things they shouldn't be fighting over. Anyway, I'd like you to welcome Joel back up, and uh, feel free to ask any question you like. And if anybody don't want to ask a question, you can write it down and I'll ask it for you. Okay, here we go. My name's
1: Ed Bardock. I appreciated your talking, and I'm not an NDP fan, by far, as Terry would know. But I do admire Premier Notley being the only one going across Canada trying to get some fair play. You mentioned the provincial government or the federal government. Where I have a a little difference of opinion with you is that the more money we give, the more money people want. And I refer to the fact that Canada gives over a hundred million dollars, if not 200 million, to China who have more gold reserves than the United States of America. And we do the same thing with with India and Pakistan. Pakistan gets $2 billion so they can buy guns that our federal government promotes, so they can buy guns to kill off their opponents. There's... Over $250 million, or 300, billion-plus dollars that could be used for some of the things you talk about. But governments won't do it. It's no different than my wife. If I try and treat her, and I give her $100, she wants $120. And if anyone tells my wife I said that, you have to attend my
2: funeral. Thank you. <laughs> so she's here. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for the question. Um, interesting. I mean, on the, I guess there's a couple of points there. Um, on, I guess the idea that um, I hear this a lot that if if you raise more money, governments will just want more. The fact here provincially right now is that we're already spending the money. It's it's not, there's not going to be at least for the first 7 to 10 to 14 or so billion dollars you raise. That is just to pay for what we're already paying for. We're going into into more debt every year because we don't raise enough money to pay for the existing spending. Um, so it's not necessarily about that. On on the bigger issues, and I don't know the details of... of uh, of the money you're talking about in China and Pakistan. I do. I have heard um, there's been a lot in the media about the arms uh, subsidies we give to Saudi Arabia and that the Trudeau government did for the, uh, uh, with them. Um, I don't think that's a good thing either. So if, if what you're talking about in China and, and other areas is anything like that, then I think you're absolutely right that it's something that we shouldn't be doing. Um, And I think we need to hold our politicians' feet to the fire. I think when we see those kinds of things as citizens, I think we need to, um, to talk to our members of parliament, to get all of the facts out to people in our communities, and to put pressure on members of parliament. You know, it's not a perfect democracy, but there are ways that we can influence our politicians. And, you know, I mentioned I worked in a politician's office for two years, and I think Uh, People across the country grossly uh, underestimate how much power they have to influence their elected officials. Um, If you do reach out, and particularly if you get um, even a small group of committed people to reach out to a politician and express an opinion on an issue, they will take you seriously. Um, They are scared for their jobs, and they have to fight for their jobs every four years or less. Um, So I strongly encourage you to engage, engage with your elected officials at every level and let them know what your expectations are of them.
0: Although I can agree with uh, what Ed was saying, I, I think we should maybe sh- stick a little closer to home in terms of uh, the topic that we are addressing.
3: The mic is moving. Um, Joel, my name is Henning Mundel, and uh, yes, I vote NDP. But my question is, you've mentioned that you don't think The current government or in any near future government will likely accept much of what your revenue reno suggests in terms of raising of taxes and raising of sales tax and income taxes. We've had discussions on this for decades, probably when you were still in shorts, maybe before. Can you look in your crystal ball? you think there will come a time when in Alberta we will be ready? It doesn't look like anytime soon.
2: Yeah, good question. Um, I'm not one to make much for predictions, per se, in politics. I think that most predictions in politics are wrong, um, so I won't do that. Uh, I do think that there is hope in the future. I think there is the possibility that a change could come. Uh, I think it's up to... Folks like you in the room, um, whether or not our politicians are held to a standard where they need to answer for the kinds of problems that they're not willing to talk about right now. Um, and just to clarify, I don't know how I worded it earlier, um, I don't think right away a government is going to do this. I do think there is the possibility for some uh, for this discussion to shift in the very near future. And I think that's the first step towards getting to a solution. So you know, When I'm talking realistically, what is the next step? I think the next step is, uh, is us pressuring our politicians enough and setting our expectations high enough that our politicians start speaking more honestly about what the problem is. So right now, for example, uh, I have a stack of newspapers and articles on my desk that are examples of government officials, of uh, mostly cabinet ministers with the NDP, talking about how we have an $11 billion tax advantage over the next lowest tax province. So right now we have uh, the government, even an NDP government, talking about taxes, low taxes as an advantage, when in fact it's the reason why we're barely affording to to pay for our public services. So I think the first step that I'd like to see that I think is realistic now is for that language to change and for the government to start saying, and, and I'd like all political parties to say this, um, that the reason why we have a big deficit is that our tax system doesn't raise nearly as much revenue as any other tax system in the country. That information's in their budget documents, it's not a secret, but the way that they talk about it is really, I would call it warped. Um, and I think it's much more honest just to, to put that on the table and say, um, you know, this is the reason why we're having fiscal problems and, you know, the solution is then up for discussion. Uh, You know, I've told you what solution I prefer, and others can advocate for different solutions. But um, I think that level of honesty and uh, being honest with Albertans, I think we've, uh, I'll go a tiny bit off topic and then bring it back. Um, I think when you look at this whole pipeline discussion that we've been having, and you look at opinion polls and what Albertans think about pipelines, I think the government has changed that a lot by the language they've been using. Uh, regardless of what you think of it. Um, I think that the government has done a great job of explaining why they believe the pipeline is important and all of the different parts of that. Uh, I think they could do the same kind of thing on what's happening in the fiscal system. I think they could be showing leadership and explaining to Albertans why we need to solve this problem. Um, I think they've shown great leadership on the minimum wage as well. I don't think the minimum wage increases. You know, there's still not, obviously, unanimity across the province on it, but they're going ahead with it and they've been doing it for a few years now and they've been challenging some of the conventional opinions out there. They've been talking about how Um, Raising the minimum wage will give money to the lowest uh, wage workers in the province who will then have more money in their pockets to support their families. They'll be spending that money in their communities, which will actually help uh, some of the local businesses. So some of those things that didn't seem so conventional, they've been repeating that over and over and over again. And I think any politician can do that on an issue and show leadership. And we just haven't seen leadership from any political party on this issue yet. Um, So I think that's the first step, and hopefully that gives you a little bit of hope that things could change in the future if we can just look one step ahead to start with, and then we can go from there.
4: My name is Henry Heinen, and on your last comments, of course, whenever something is ideologically driven, you know, it may not necessarily translate on doing the most good on the ground level. I mean, you talk to a lot of the small business people in terms of the minimum wage. So, just an aside. Secondly, in terms of your pipeline comment, you know, if we're selling our oil to the Americans, one of our only customers, for $30 a barrel less, that would indicate to me that maybe a pipeline is a thing because we're adding more uh, cars to the railroad tracks every day to ship that oil, regardless because we don't have the pipeline capacity. My question is, and you're studying all the fiscal areas of this province, what about our transfer payments? You know, we have deficits and deficits and deficits, yet we still have to ship money into the transfer fund, which benefits those quote, quote, have not provinces. And so Quebec can have daycare, say, at seven or $10 a child, which they have now, and we pay, like you mentioned, the the lady that had a PhD, we can't even earn enough money to have, if we have more than one or two children, to keep them in a good daycare. So your comments, please.
2: Wow, Uh, I should have made a list, but um, I think what what you said to me uh, on the pipeline, I think is, I mean, what what you told me was the same message the government has been repeating to Albertans, and that's precisely why I'm saying leadership works. For elected officials, is is that they've been so convincing that that they're getting Albertans to say what they've been saying back to us, right, uh, back to other Albertans. Um, on uh, on transfer payments, I'm not an expert in equalization, um, but I mean part of how it works, or the the main part of how it works, is uh, it comes out of federal taxes that we pay, of course, and then the federal government. Um, sends transfers back to provinces that are have-not. Um, our, our economy does better than any other economy uh, in the country, uh, provincially, and that, you know, is why that we don't receive equalization payments. Um, I don't know, I, I see equalization as part of what makes us, a big part of what makes us a country, a big part of what makes us Canadian. Um, when I think about the services that it pays for, um, you know, I think about our healthcare systems, and one of the one of the key planks of the Canada Health Act is portability of healthcare. You know, if I travel to another province, you know, I think of the Maritime provinces because the, you know they're the ones whose economies are uh, usually uh, having the most challenges, uh, and so they're receiving equalization payments. If I if I travel to Nova Scotia for something, um, I want to know that there's a healthcare system there for me um, because I'm still in my country. Uh, and I want there to be a certain standard of public services, no matter where I go, or you know, uh, lots of folks move to different parts of the country too. I don't want to feel like uh, I'm in a different country when I move to, not- to another uh, province. And so I, I don't know. That's how I see equalization um, is is really tying us together as a country. Um, and then the final thing I would say, you use the example of Quebec, um, is. If I went back to—I won't go back right now—but you can pick up the leaflet if you don't have it. Um, if we had Quebec's tax system, so if we want to make that comparison, we wouldn't have any trouble. We wouldn't even have to have this discussion. So, you know, Quebec does receive some equalization payments, but they also tax at a much more reasonable level. And you know, if we looked at their example, we wouldn't be—we uh, wouldn't have these challenges, and we could afford uh, affordable childcare too. Um, their childcare system isn't perfect either. There's a lot of uh, work to do there, particularly on the quality of care available. Um, but if we look at their tax system, you know that is something I think we could learn from them.
5: <clears throat> Excuse me, hi. Uh, thank you very much. It was a very good presentation. You're you. a very good speaker, clear, succinct, great. Um, I wonder the one graph, oh, Carol Sakia, uh, the one graph with the bar graph with the green and the brown.
2: Here, I'll go back to it.
5: Could you kind of explain that a little slower, because there's sure. been uh, anyway. But my request is, does your organization have sort of a, if Alberta would raise the the PST, uh, APST to one percent, two percent, three percent, you know what that would look like? Right. Okay
2: as far as how many dollars it would raise for the province? Yeah, what it would Yeah. Um, so in a nutshell, um, if we spend a bit of money on mitigating uh, the cost of a sales tax for low-income Albertans, 1%, each 1% sales tax raises about $1 billion per year. Um, yeah, thanks for the question on this graph too, because there is a little more I can explain. The, the light green bars on this side Um, are the revenue that all of those provinces raise from their sales taxes. Um, So these are actually the government's own calculations. And, you know, I I have trouble lining it up directly and giving you a number there, but uh, it's about maybe $6 billion or so from B.C. Um, They actually, their projections are actually more optimistic than me uh, because Saskatchewan has um, a 6% sales tax now. Uh, I'm kind of confused about their numbers. They might want to check them. But Saskatchewan actually has the lowest sales tax, and, and what they're saying is that if we had Saskatchewan's sales tax, that we would actually raise somewhere around $9 billion per year. So that's what these green bars are, is if we had the same sales tax rate as those other provinces, um, then that would be how much we would raise. Actually, no, I, I can answer the question now. It's probably because BC's provincial sales tax is harmonized with the federal, uh, federal sales tax with the GST and Saskatchewan's is not. Or is it not? It used to be. It's not anymore. That's right, they went back on that. So I don't know, we, we'd have to ask them on that. But that's what that projection is. The rest of it, they just lump into one category as other, uh, other taxes and carbon charges. Um, so they say carbon charges because BC calls theirs a carbon tax, we call ours a carbon levy. Ontario and Quebec have cap-and-trade systems. Um, so it's different in those provinces. But this is basically, these dark bars are lumping together all of the other differences in tax systems between Alberta uh, and the other provinces. Um, They did used to publish, actually no, they still publish a chart showing the different tax rates in all of the categories. Um, so the biggest ones the biggest difference you'll see is in the personal income tax system and and in the sales tax as far as differences but uh, there's a government document that if anybody's if you're interested in the details of that uh, shoot me an email and and I can find the link for you on the government website where you can download this it's a one-page sheet that shows you all of the different tax rates um, there are some other differences you know we have lots of other things like gasoline tax and tobacco taxes um, there are some that are um, Uh, Capital investment taxes, so there are some differences, but the ones that make the biggest difference as far as revenue goes are uh, sales tax and personal income taxes Hopefully that gives you a better uh, Idea of this, but I can also send you a link to this chart on the government's website Which like I say will be or if you google Alberta tax advantage uh, The link to this on the government website will come up right away And you can see how they talk about it, which is very different than the talks that I give about it
3: thank you alan story to approach this problem is going to take political will but how on earth do we get it if we talk about increasing the revenues everyone right of center talks about efficiencies and they want to pick up arms and go to war anyone left of center if you talk about the expense side they have immediate diarrhea and the, and we're getting nowhere. But we do have an example in recent Canadian history of getting political will. And it was that nasty, squeaky, aggravating voice of Manning when he was the Reform MP in Parliament who nagged and nagged and nagged about the deficit until he got the attention of the Canadian public to the point that the government then decided they really could do something about it because there was political will. Yeah. I don't know how you're going to get that political will, but this—that's what it needs—a nonpartisan approach. Uh, on the on the expense side, I would suggest that you use some charts, taking some fictitious efficiency cuts on the expense size, just to show how large the remaining problem is. Because I bet if you cut 25% off the expense side, you've still got a huge deficit.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. And, um, I mean, a big part of my role uh, and my organization's role is to build political will around issues. That's what, you know, educating the public about issues is. And so I, I think it's about lots of um, lots of conversations in communities and that's I think one thing that Preston Manning's reform party did very well is I think that they they tapped into uh, people at the grassroots level the true grassroots level in communities and got them interested in you know budgets and deficits and debt and things that really at a government level are really abstract and I think I think you know there's a lot of success there in an area where I don't think it was inevitable, I think it was a lot of hard work by a lot of uh, intelligent people whose work I don't like. <laughs> um, and so I, I think for people that have other ideas, uh, like me and, and some of you, um, I think it's about having these conversations in our communities, finding other people that are interested and making it part of um, almost political common sense. And you know, some people are, are always going to talk about cuts. I think we have to create the expectation among Albertans that anytime somebody says something about cuts, um, that the immediate answer is, well, cut what? And what would the effect be? And that we hold our politicians, again, to that standard of having to explain themselves. And, you know, one of the conversations we had at our table over lunch was, well, Jason Kenney's never going to say what he's going to cut. But we have to create the expectation, those of us who, you know, believe in, uh, these kinds of things, the expectation that he will explain what he's going to cut. If we have that expectation, then nobody will trust him unless he says that what he's going to cut, right? And he can still campaign on cuts, but I want him to tell me what he's going to cut. And I think, you know, when you have that conversation with anybody in Alberta, I, that's a pretty difficult thing to disagree with, you know, to, to hold a politician. You know, it's not necessarily changing what he's going to do, but it's making him be more honest. And, you know, I think when it comes to popular impressions of politicians, I think honesty is something that everybody wants more of from our political process, and it's, it's, not, a, you know, it's not anything against any particular politician, it's just some of the culture that has been created in our system. So, um, so I think hold, hold folks to that standard and don't accept from any politician, um, you know, the sort of vague promises and, and things that are really throwaway lines without any detail um, I don't think, I think it's irresponsible for us to have to wait until they take action. So if, if Jason Kenney wins the next election, and I don't think that's, uh, we're talking about this too, I don't think that's inevitable. I think anything could happen. If we were, um, you know, eight months out of the 2015 election and you asked everybody in this room what was going to happen, how many people uh, were saying that we were going to elect an NDP government? <laughs> no? So everything's up in the air still, and we need to hold our uh, politicians to uh, a better standard and make them explain themselves. And again, you do have a lot of power and influence uh, as (coughs) citizens, uh, as voters, uh, and especially the kind of folks that are in this room, as people that um, probably are relied uh, upon by a lot of your friends to let them know what's going on in politics. I know when I'm in the hockey dressing room for the team that I play on up in Edmonton, the beer leagues, um, they rely on me for my opinion on politics. And I know all of you have those kinds of crowds where people are asking you, what's really going on here? Um, so I'm hoping that we provide you some of those tools through this campaign to have some more of those discussions in a more fruitful way.
5: Thank, thank you, Joel, for, uh, question, for answers to questions, but also your presentation. I'm Mary Shillington. I'm a retired clinical social worker. So I'm very left-leaning and left-voting and left-working, and nobody in this crowd would be surprised by that (laughs) from my questions and so on earlier. Um, I personally would be quite willing to pay a sales tax. Uh, I think it's what we need, and that we uh, help the people at poor income level to have a rebate, but I also uh, would be willing to pay more income tax. Now, if you could advise, the government right now, and they would take your advice, would you do both or one of them?
2: I would do a mix. Um, And to be clear, the reason why we're talking about those two options, and I said this earlier, but I'm going to repeat it, is that those are the two options that raise the biggest numbers of dollars. That doesn't mean those are the only things we have to do. Um, There are lots of other types of taxes, and I'm totally open to the conversation about changing uh, those other tax rates too. But these are the ones that are going to make the biggest difference. So ultimately, I think it's going to be a mix of things. I think it should be a mix of these two things and probably several other things as well. Um, and I do get uh, at least some kind of consultation with the government every year leading up to the budget. So I've told this to the finance minister and not to the premier directly, but to some of her staff. And you know, they know what we're talking about. Uh, it's interesting. Actually, one other thing that's... Tangentially related is the the finance minister used to uh, be with an organization called action to end poverty uh, And his signature is on a report called poverty costs that uh, his organization released uh, About uh, which you may be familiar with as a social worker, but they released it I think about a year before the last election and it says that poverty costs uh, Albertans uh, about 7.5 billion dollars a year um, so, you know, instead of spending money up front to address poverty, we're spending a lot of money on folks ac- uh, accessing the healthcare system a lot more, accessing the services of social workers a lot more, um, accessing uh, mental health supports that, uh, if they weren't living in poverty, um, they may not need. Uh, or at least not t- need to rely on as much uh, the correction system and many other things. So there are other ways, but they're longer-term fixes. Uh, these are things that you know we could do a lot sooner. And ultimately, addressing poverty uh, would be one of the um, fiscally responsible, but most importantly, moral things to do for the province as well.
6: Thanks very much, Joel. I enjoyed your presentation. I have a yes. question relating to the last. Um, the last question about what the bigger issues are and why you narrowed it down to those issues. Um, asking my question on behalf of the late Frank Toth, who asked this question over and over again at, at SACPA meetings and and never did get a uh, an acceptable answer. What is the royalty? I'll do it like Frank would do. What are the royalties that we get on our oil? And I understand they range from low heat years in the 10% royalties to today at anywhere from zero to two percent and I stand to be corrected that's the first right. part that I'd love and um, Larry Elford and finally what are the approximate royalties that we might get from uh, that we get from uh, gambling alcohol potentially marijuana revenues those rather big issues I've even told that we get more revenue from gambling taxes than we do from oil revenues so I'm mostly interested in the oil revenue question
2: yeah, thank you. That is true. We do get more uh, revenue, at least right now, from gambling and liquor. And I guess they're renaming it the uh, Liquor, Gaming, and Cannabis Commission. I just read. Uh, apparently, they have a secret warehouse that's already stocked with the stuff. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, but uh, on oil and gas royalties, it was this was one of the most disappointing things for me in this government's term so far. Is You know, they came into the... Uh, into their term after they won the election with, to me, a mandate, if you read the way they talked about it in their platform and the way that, that the NDP caucus had talked about it in the media for years when it comes to royal, oil and gas royalties, that um, you're right, it's, I think, right now about 2% or so that we get. If you compare us to really almost any other jurisdiction in the world, and, you know, some of them are authoritarian regimes, which we don't need to talk about, but you can look at... Norway is, is the most shocking example. Uh, The Norwegian government um, uh, has saved about uh, over $1 trillion uh, in oil, uh, mostly oil royalties from offshore oil. And our savings are about, I think we're at about $7 billion still, and we haven't put anything away in savings since the late 80s um, because we've been spending it all every year to keep our tax system the way that it is. Um, When I, I mentioned before, working for Brian Mason, Uh, He was the leader of the NDP at the time that I was working for him and I remember um, my first day in the office looking at the magazine rack and there's a picture of him next to Sarah Palin um, who was, you know, (laughs) governor of Alaska at the time um, because he was up there comparing Alberta's royalty rates to Sarah Palin's Alaska and he was talking about how many billions of dollars in additional revenue we would raise as a province per year if we adopted Sarah Palin's royalty rates. Um, so, th- so, there are, you know, we have bottom, o- bottom of the barrel, I would call them royalty rates, and we could absolutely get a lot more money from that, and we should. Um, but when the government reviewed it, they didn't really change much. And if you ask me what's, what was wrong with the process they did, I, th- I honestly think they picked the wrong people for the panel. Um, you know, that's something that can happen when you appoint an independent panel. You know, you don't know what... I mean, if you read what they've said before, you might have a good idea of what they're going to give you, but a lot depends on who you pick. Um, And I think they picked um, several folks for that that had an interest in the status quo, and they ended up basically keeping the status quo, and I think that was a mistake. Time for
0: one more question.
5: Hi, Joel. I'm I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Yeah. Thank you very much for your talk. Uh, especially uh, appropriate in terms of the upcoming elections. Um, I really liked your idea about changing the dialogue, and maybe a question that we should be asking those who would say that um, the NDP shouldn't be running a deficit is what they would sell off, because um, the last time... um, the so-called deficit was paid off. Uh, the infrastructure for our electricity was uh, sold to Warren Buffett. And, and of course, we're gonna be paying for that and our kids and grandkids and great grandkids forever. So my question relates to corporate taxes. It was my understanding that income tax brings in about twice as much as corporate taxes. So could you tell us um, per percent? So could you tell us what the current corporate tax rate is and what rate you think would be appropriate for corporate taxation?
2: Yeah, great question. Um, The provincial corporate tax rate right now, so I'm talking, usually when we say corporate tax, we mean large corporations. We have two corporate tax rates, one for small businesses, one for large corporations. Uh, The one for small businesses is down at 2%. Um, the one for large corporations, which I assume is what you're talking about Bev, uh, is currently at 12%. Uh, it was at 10% when the NDP government got elected, um, so the NDP did a- increase it by 2%. Um, it, We had made some early projections on that back when the economy was doing uh, a lot better, that it would raise uh, up to about $500 million, so about half a billion for each percentage point. Um, so far, for the past few years, where we've been able to measure that with that two percent increase, um, it's a little less than that. So the two percent increase has raised less than a billion dollars per year. So I'm not opposed to it going up further. Um, right now, twelve percent is um, a tiny, tiny bit above the national average. Um, a, th- a thing for corporate tax rates to keep in mind is there is a competitive competitiveness part of it, which. Some of that is conservative talking points that are just excuses for bottom of the barrel uh, corporate tax rates. Um, so I do think that we could increase it a bit and in that way show the same kind of leadership that um, we did before but in the opposite way of, you know before we were cutting to be the lowest and others followed us. Um, you know I think there is the potential for us to lead and, and put in some I- increases and get other provinces to follow us in addressing their own shortages of revenue which exist in most places. So I think there's a, some potential there, but even if you did, you know, two or 3%, it's going to raise you a, a billion, maybe a little bit more than a billion dollars per year. So that's, that's one of those taxes that I said, you know, could be part of the mix, but isn't one of the ones that I'm focusing on just because that dollar amount you're going to raise from it isn't nearly um, uh, anywhere near the kind of dollar amount that we're talking about. I think there was one other thing I was going to say about that, but I'm not recalling it now.
0: Is uh, everyone okay with with an all-time question? Everett, it sounds like it. Thank you, Everett Thomas. Since we get so little from our natural resources, it's almost a self-inflicted poverty situation. Perhaps we should deal with that before we set up another bureaucracy called sale tax. Because there is enough in our own mistakes that we should look after before we add some more bureaucracy to our government. Thank you.
2: Yeah. I would say, I mean, when you say add more bureaucracy, I'm assuming you mean the the administrative cost of a new tax. Um, A lot of provinces now are going the road of a harmonized sales tax, which I think has has created a lot of misconceptions, which I think is why BC ended up going back on theirs. But a harmonized sales tax actually doesn't uh, need any additional bureaucracy. A harmonized sales tax means the federal government administers it while they administer the uh, the GST, and they transfer the money to the province. So you don't need to spend more on administration to do that. Um, I, think the, I do think it's worth the conversation on royalties. I think we need to raise more there. One thing I didn't give... Uh, give you, when I talked about resource uh, royalties not being the answer to the problem, I showed you the instability, uh, but we did some public opinion polling before we launched this campaign too, and uh, the percentage of Albertans that agree with us that resource royalty revenue shouldn't be used for, shouldn't be counted on for for our regular operations um, is uh, about 70%, uh, or actually higher than 70% uh, of Albertans agree with us on that. Um, You know, there's some cognitive dissonance when it comes to what you poll, because if you, you know, you poll all of these things that would seem to lead you to um, the conclusion that we should raise taxes, but then you ask the question if we should raise taxes and it's, you know, apparently it doesn't poll at 70%. (laughs) Um, So that's why we need to get, have these conversations and put all the facts out there is to to lessen that cognitive dissonance between um, those different questions.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, this has been great.